Hi, my name is Anastasio Sarima. I am the co-founder and CEO of Iperion X. And at Iperion X, we're looking to build uh, an all-American, sustainable, low-carbon, circular source of uh, titanium metal uh, for use in a range of industries from automotive through to defence. Okay, so thank you very much for the introduction. Uh, looking forward to the next uh, half an hour, 40 minutes or so. Um, <clears throat> in this interview, I'd like to kind of dig into... Uh, various aspects of the company, where it's come from, where you think it's going to, looking at both the kind of the, the, the makeup of the shareholders, you know, how that has evolved over time, the makeup of the board, and also, um, you know, how you value yourself and how you see the trajectory of the company going. This is part of the kind of the validation, uh, validation and valuation series that we're working on. Um, uh, so just, just before we get stuck into the detail, um, can you just give, kind of give me a... Um, a quick overview of kind of where the macro is because it's been pretty choppy markets pretty tough for the, the for for everybody in the space your market capitalization has been um you know it hasn't hasn't grown much since we last spoke about three or four months ago you're around 105 million aussie market's pretty depressed pretty shaky out there could you just kind of give me a uh, and we've got the midterm elections coming up um could you just give us a quick overview of where you see the kind of the macro, please. Yeah, I think uh, from our perspective, the uh, the what's happening in the markets with inflation is uh, and interest rates is it is what it is, um, and we'll have to see how that uh, pans out over the next uh, few months, uh, next six months, and and see when uh, you know what happens in in the shorter term. Uh, that being you know shorter term, in my opinion, is sort of six twelve months out. Uh, but over the medium to long term, we continue to see tailwinds uh, in the industries where we're operating. Uh, what we're trying to do is is hit on a few thematics which are not going away in the short term, um, that being uh, reshoring critical mineral or material supply chains in America, uh, reshoring those sort of supply chains that are tied to uh, energy efficiency and electric vehicle uh, batteries, electrification of any, everything, that thematic. Uh, and titanium and some of the other products that co-products that we'll produce tie into that um, and just uh, tying into the sort of um, national security uh, I guess thematic that we've got going on right now titanium ties well into that being one of the key uh, products or key metals needed uh, in the defense industry here in the United States so I think we have tailwinds over even the short to medium term one of the things uh, that uh, one of the items I think investors should be really uh, focused on is that it's probably never happened in history to this extent, but the US government is coming out and spending uh, a lot of money on on these sort of industries tied to all these thematics. So we just saw yesterday, you know, uh, today's the 20th of November, we just saw October, just saw yesterday the Department of Energy announce and the White House announce uh, $2.8 billion of grants. This is not loan funding, which is already there. There is large loan funding available for for projects tied to um, the electrification thematic. But we saw $2.8 billion of grants come in to uh, projects um, within the US tied to um, the manufacturing of batteries in the United States from cathodes, anodes and everything. Now, $145 million or so was allocated, granted to Piedmont Lithium, which is the company I founded before, Hyperion X. That is a huge amount of money. There's, um, now, the government still has tens of billions of dollars left in programs like that to focus on industries in which uh, Hyperion X is going to be a, a big player in. So, we're in a situation where, yes, the shorter term is choppy because of where inflation and interest rates are going, but uh, definitely over the even over the short, medium, long term, there is a lot of funding and a lot of focus on the types of uh, markets in which we are playing in. You've also just reminded me of the kind of the period in the mid mid seventies, early eighties when the oil price shock came through, and the US said, "Right now, we now we have to." Um, focus on efficiency we have to uh make our engines work better we have to economize we have to make and, and you just had this extraordinary step change in reduction in demand um for kind of fossil fuels not really because the the standard of living dropped in any way but just because uh 
industry adapted and innovated and and changed changed the demand for fossil fuel and i i feel that now that we're coming into this with this period where there's this focus on renewables and clean energy there's going to be an equal and and also because of the geopolitical concerns that we've got the availability of en- energy particularly linked to russian supply of gas and the the european uh, um geographic crisis let's call it over um available energy the era of um kind of abundant global energy flows is pretty much um shattering um yeah i think there, there might be quite a big focus on weight reduction and efficiencies and that yeah. kind of plays into the kind of the entertainment Arthur substitution Matt. theme yeah yeah so automatic definitely uh, and what we're doing with uh production of low carbon sustainable circular um titanium is uh, fits well into that thematic not only is titanium used for energy efficiency in, in weight reduction of objects but uh longevity of uh products as well because it it, it is corrosion resistant um it also plays into the clean manufacturing you know the electrification sustainability of everything uh and uh you know circular economies which we're moving towards so we we definitely tick on a lot of the key thematics which mm. uh, american investors are looking at today as well and and global large institutional investors are looking to get uh exposure to whilst also the government is looking to fund and that's why i think you see you know that we have a very strong institutional shareholder base that that are the top shareholders which are looking at these sort of um, thematics? Okay, well let's let's look into that because um, you know uh, the Crux Investor Platform is really designed to provide insight for um, retail investors and um, mm-hmm. people without ac- people without institutional access and those kind of research facilities. Um, <clears throat> and one of the things that can often derail a um, an investment in a company is not understanding where those kind of incentives are, not understanding the motivations behind other shareholders on the shareholder register. So, um, I mean, I, I had, a, of course, I look at your presentation, and I can see that you've got Fidelity, uh, Boston at 10%, International at 7%, so Fidelity kind of at, at about 17%. You've mm-hmm. got uh, um, um, Riley Financial, um, B. B. Riley, Riley Financial, yep. B. B. Riley Financial at 5%, and you've got kind of um, about 30% which is the insiders and the um, kind of associates. Mm-hmm. Um, what would be really useful, it would be, could you just kind of talk to me about the evolution of the uh, shareholder registry, you know, how it's changed over time, what kind of people were backing you right at the beginning after, your, after you, um, when you created the company and, you know, how that's, that's changed over time. That'd be great. So we started the, as you said, we started the company in 2020. We started as a private company. Uh, so the funding came from ourselves as shareholders. Um, so we we funded that initially ourselves. Uh, and that was a few million dollars uh, to to start uh, looking at um, acquiring land in Western SC for our Titan project and also start working with Dr. Fong and doing the due diligence around that, the technology. Uh, but then at the end of 2020, in December 2020, we backed or listed or vended RTO'd uh, into a publicly listed shell company on the ASX, which back then was called Tau Commodities. Uh, and so that had uh, listed maybe a few years before um, as an IPO with a gold project, which is typical in Australia to have these uh, publicly listed companies which list on smaller assets and then go out there and look for, for projects or, or companies that they can acquire that can do a reverse takeover. So that company had um, uh, over $4 million of cash in the bank at that point. And so uh, we did the reverse takeover into that company. And again, we put our own money in on the back of that listing uh, of another 2 million. So you added 2 million and that they yep. had four million in cash, what and and then you had the assets. What was the kind of the pro forma ratio of those kind of various blocks? What did, what did Tower Resources represent of the enlarged share capital? Uh, so I think it was around fifty percent. I should have I should actually know that, but we uh, we vended into uh, Tower Commodities uh, on a milestone basis. So we still have two milestones left, okay. uh, which is. Um, based on the development of the Titan project. Because back then we did still had not secured the technology. We had only secured the licenses 
or the the rights to the uh, mineral side of the business, which is the Titan project. So yeah. milestones were based on progress of the Titan project and pretty substantial progress. So we're talking uh, positive pre-feasibility study with uh, with an MPV uh, hurdle um, of 200 million US and then um, first production at the Titan project. So this is not, you know, time or just you know put a resource out this is proper uh get reserves and then get into production so and what's the relationship with the kind of the tower shareholders are they now kind of um we were in gold but now we're kind of we're fully we we bought into the titanium story we we, we like the t- um, titan mining project we like the titanium t- technology you know are, are they still shareholders i mean do you still have a kind of a, a dialogue uh, with so we, we, we've had a lot of, uh, since between now and then, we've had a lot of turnover in the shareholder register. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of shareholders there uh, at $0.06, cents, $0.07. Cents. The IPO was at $0.20, cents, but when we did the deal, I believe it was at something like $0.06. Cents. So there's been a lot of shareholder turnover on our journey up to, you know, we, we picked at forty around that in Australia. Um, even today, we're... We're still at uh, close to 80 cents. So we're still a, probably a 10x from where we're there. So there's been a lot of shareholder turnover. Uh, we've had a lot of shareholders that uh, have historically supported us in other companies uh, buy in significantly. And then we've had, as you would expect, some shareholders that were in at those lower levels to, to exit. Um, but I would say that uh, all in all, we've, we've got a pretty strong shareholder base that has followed us since then on market uh, with buying both smaller institutions and uh, and high net worth retail groups that are that are very uh, that follow us for the long term um, now what happens in the short term happens in the short term but I'm, I'm very happy with my shareholder base at the moment and and funny enough those those high net wealth high net worth um, investors are often relationship based they often willing to take a kind of strategic thematic on something it's 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 less common to see it with um a big fund like fidelity so how did what and i i've worked with fidelity as well and they've got this system where they've got um they, they take young analysts and they, they they give them one or two years on a on a sector and just by the time you're getting to the point where they're ready to invest they they move to another sector and then you've got to start again with another kind of super super on the spectrum brainy analyst who's never met mining before um, but you, you've got, you've got two sides of fidelity in there. So if you could tell me a little bit about that relationship, that'd be quite interesting. So uh, it, it's a it's a good it's a good point, and it comes actually back to relationships as well. So as we were building this company, um, once we got past that first RTO, we then moved into a period of okay, start really accelerating the build of the company, and we secured the technology as well at the start of 2021. At that point, we we then started to build a strong advisory uh, board from our network of people that we know. Uh, and we're lucky in that our networks are, are quite extensive. Um, so we, we and we knew that we wanted to leverage that. So we built a very strong advisory board um, at the start of 2021. And people and it was really focused around let's build a sustainable critical material um, company in the United States to reshore this issue, which will be titanium metal. Now, this is pre-Russia-Ukraine war, so we had a bit of foresight there that 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 there was going to be uh, there was going to be serious issues in the titanium supply chain. And um, as we built those relationships, we brought in some really uh, great people. Uh, one of which is um, Toby Simons, um, who's my chief strategy officer, and really is uh, has been instrumental in in helping us build some of those. Um, a lot of our relationships, um, in addition to a lot of our advisors um, as well. So we, as we built one, the thematic, which is something that a lot of these groups, if they hear, they want to get exposure to. You also have to be able to communicate it to the right people. So that's where the networks or the relationships come in. So through our team, we were able to, um, educate a range of investors um, and early on in mid-2021 as we were kicking a lot of goals and hitting a lot of milestones, we were able to reach directly into one of the major 
fund managers in Fidelity out of uh, um, Boston uh, and London, and he was living in between London and Boston, that knew Toby Simons, and uh, we were able to educate him and his team around what the strategic vision of Hyperion X is. <clears throat> and when you do that, when, you, when you're able, even if you're a small company, um, if you're able to reach out to a network or a relationship like that, they get interested. There's just no doubt. This is such a different story. It's not let's build a gold mine and, you know, they'll tell you to yeah. come back, yeah, you know, when you've got a feasibility study. This is a this is a, 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 a change to an industry. We're building a sustainable supply chain of titanium um, that includes ore in the ground all the way through to titanium metal, includes circularity. There's a vision here which is which is not typical. It, it's not a mining company. We are an industrial disruptive technology company where which has mining as a feedstock or a mineral asset as a feedstock, but it's more of a vision of disrupting an industry. So the mining is essentially just part of that kind of vert- it's part of vertical integration. Mining, the, it's, it's it comes back exactly. to security of supply rather than exactly. um kind of we want to be a mining company and I, exactly. I what you've just what you've just described is a kind of investor who is looking at um owning part of a business rather than uh trading part of a cycle yeah so we're talking about investors that are looking at the next five years ten years out and wanting to own a business that's going to be what we hope to be a multi-billion dollar business in the future as we hit our milestones. So, you know, this is a typical, uh, you know, this is part of Fidelity, which typically writes much bigger, very big checks. Um, Invested a lot in um, some in mining, but in minerals assets, but also in in the technology side of of the business industrials. You know, this is a very large fund. Um, And so, you know, they were interested and they cornerstoned the financing that we did in August of 2021. And, and so what that, price was what, what price was that at? One dollar twenty, and so they came in as a ten percent shareholder. We then continued to progress the business. Unfortunately, the markets did what they did uh, over this year, and they've been very choppy. Um, and look, we as managers, um, it's tough not to look at the share price, but you've got to look at the overall vision and progress of of the company. So you've got to put that to the side sometimes and just focus on hitting milestones and building the business. And so that's what we continue to do um, and, again, continue to educate different potential investors. Um, and then uh, only a month ago, uh, as we looked at where the market was going over the next six months and we looked at our budget over the next six months, we we took the <clears throat> prudent choice to raise additional capital, even though we did, you know, I personally do not like to raise capital. At lower valuations, we did the prudent decision to raise capital to give us a much longer runway and put us in a very strong financial position, which we are in today. And so we raised another uh, Australian $24 million. Uh, the August 2021 placement was Australian $24 million as well. Um, and again, uh, Fidelity Boston followed their, uh, their money in, but this time we also uh, were able to secure um, a few other major investors, two of which, uh, one, Fidelity International, again, a relationship-based um, and not just – you just can't have the relationship and then show them something which is not right. Again, relationship-based where we were able to get to the fund manager. In Fidelity's case, uh, it was the fund manager who had invested in Piedmont Lithium and had done well there. So we were able to uh, secure them as a as a major shareholder as well, and that's why Fidelity as a group uh, holds seventeen percent of the company today. Fidelity Boston followed their money in, uh, and then at the same time we were able to secure B Riley, uh, which is one of the probably only remaining merchant banks in the US, uh, which has a two billion dollar private investment arm again through relationships get to that fund manager and secure them as a cornerstone shareholder as well where they can and this is this leaves us with a you know 23 20 23 odd percent holding by three major institutions um, that will continue to support the company over the short medium long term uh, and so you you don't for a company which has got relatively low liquidity uh, no Research analyst coverage, yeah, um, 
we have three institute we have an institutional register uh, which is unlike you see in in a lot of a lot of companies out there that are a lot bigger than us so it's testament to what we're trying to do and the thematic that we're focused on the type of team that we have built um so you know i think that's right now a lot of there's a lot going on in the market but i think retail shareholders should find comfort in there's these large groups that have done a lot of dd you know they did do their due diligence some extensive due diligence and have come away and said this is going to be a transformational company over the medium and long term so you know what I give advice to people is you know, I don't trade stocks. You know, I just try and find things which over the longer term can make money. And for me personally, that's done extremely well. Um, I, I, I couldn't bear the bear the headache of trying to trade a day-to-day stock market. It's just no, too no, no, it's too, it's, it's too much. Um, you're right. It is really important to explain those relationships to the, to, to the wider market. And thank you for doing that. Um, my experience of dealing with the big funds like Fidelity, like Capital and um, some others is that they, um, you know, when I'm talking about Salazar, about Copper, for example, they'll say uh, our micro micro market cap fund we can go down to maybe 250 million dollars market capitalization as the bottom end of our scale um but really we want you to be around 500 million to a billion dollars to get into our micro cap fund you know and it's such a such a different space different, such a different um area it is. To, to 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 the to the junior market and there are always exceptions so it's really nice to see that they're, that, that, yeah. that they're willing to come down and invest in a at the time, probably an eighty million dollar or a hundred million dollar Aussie stock or US stock, mm-hmm. um, and, and that's only and that is relationships, but also the story. And of the course, gentleman. you know they they you know yes, most of the tickets that these fund managers write are minimum twenty five million, and for them, and it's usually a minimum you know five hundred million dollar market cap company. That's small. So yeah, yeah. this is yeah, this yeah. is one of those exceptions where they see it being a multi-billion dollar company and they see the vision and they like the story, you know. Uh, although I have also um, taken comfort from a having a, a major investor in there and um, they got it they got it wrong as well. But so you know you you, yeah. you you can't you can't not do your own due diligence. You have to do your own due diligence yeah, and understand exactly. Yeah, good. Um, now. Uh, Moving on from your shareholder register, well, actually, kind of still on that, can you just talk to me about the kind of incentive packages amongst you and the team and the executive and, you know, options and salary and mm-hmm. how you have have those conversations at the board level? Um, and I also noticed that your um, your chairman is an executive chairman. We'll come on to that in, a, in, in the next thing. But first of all, kind of incentives, how do you manage that? Uh, um, so as part of the... Uh, vending of the asset, co-founders like myself, um, we received uh, those shares up front and then uh, shares on milestones. Uh, and that includes a few few of the uh, people on my management team um, or executive team. But then if we move forward, as we bring people on that weren't part of that original team in 2020, uh, and, and including myself has taken the CEO role, um, there has been upfront um, share-based uh, incentives to get you know these these outstanding individuals involved, and typically these share-based incentives have been uh, performance shares based on um, as we've moved to operational targets. Some of our operational personnel um, are, have got operational targets they need to meet, but in by and large the Share-based payments for myself and some of the key execo are based on share price. So, my incentives, for instance, are um, six million shares split over three transfers, equally over three tranches, um, uh, with hurdles in the share price of two dollars, three dollars, and four dollars. So, this is not like uh, what you would see again in a lot of other companies, where you just have, you know. Twenty uh, percent increase. Layups. Have a, yeah, yeah, layups. This is real value creation. You got to remember that these were issued when the company was maybe forty cents or or something like that. So it's a real, you know, 
and then my execo has seen that as well because we see this company being worth a lot of money um, and a lot of value uh, in the future as we hit our milestones. And for us, it's not let's do it over the next year or two. Let's do it over the next five years. And that's typically yeah. what I've had to spend my time in when I've built businesses in the past. It was a five-year journey with people at Lithium. It was a five-year journey with my my first company I had. And uh, it was, I mean, we took, we created billion-dollar businesses. It's not, sometimes it can happen really quickly and you do get lucky and it happens in a couple of years. But it mostly takes some time. And so, but also realizing that, you know, we wanted to message to to investors that that's, that's the way we look at it. So most of the performance-based shares um, are, are, are structured in that in that way. Great, thank you. Um, again, useful clarity. Um, now, your your chairman, executive chairman. How how come he's not a non-executive chairman? Uh, he's very active in the business at the moment, um, and will probably remain to remain that way over the uh, over the medium term as well. Um, so, Todd Hannigan is is. Um, someone that I've worked with for a long time and have a deep amount of respect for. He's been, uh, he was instrumental in building what was uh, one of the most successful coal mines uh, or coal developments um, in Australia. It was one of the largest coal IPOs in Australia back in uh, the 2009 timeframe, I believe, or 2010 timeframe, Aston Resources, um, but was also uh, involved a lot in uh, Piedmont Lithium, uh, both as a shareholder, a major shareholder, uh, and on the board with me. Uh, so in the case of Iperion X, he's uh, heavily involved in in the strategy um, and the strategic direction of the company. So we're talking on a day-to-day basis. Uh, okay. We communicate between executive co and executive chairman. We communicate probably on a day-to-day basis. And is he based in Australia or in... Uh, based in Australia, but uh, like all of us, travels a lot. Most of the team, other than... Our company secretary and and Todd Hannigan are, are based in Australia, uh, based in the US. Toby Simons is he based in the in the states? Connecticut, yes. Connecticut, okay. Um, in Oz, good. Um, uh, you're jumping on uh, to your non-executive uh, board. Um, you've got, um, I really like it. You've got three women and one bloke. Um, mm-hmm. Vaughn, Vaughn Taylor. Um, who spent ten years running the Bennett family money is is your only independent male board member. Then you've got three women: Lorraine Martin, who's had a long career with Lockheed Martin. Um, question mark Any relation to the family? Beverly Wise, who spent thirty years in the aerospace industry um, with Boeing, and um, Melissa Waller, who's pension fund linked, state treasury of North Carolina. You know, just the, the the makeup of your non executive team is very. Um, investment, very aerospace. I think. Could you just kind, yeah. of, kind of? I would say commentary yeah, on that. Yeah. It's it's a good uh, it's a good question. So it's very um, very. It's got sort of half. You got uh, Vaughn Taylor and uh, Melissa Waller, who are very sustainability technology focused from the investor side. So that what I would, that's what I would say. I mean, Melissa is yeah. uh, very well known in the ESG investing circles. Uh, in uh, in America, focused on uh, advising um, pension funds on their ESG strategies, um, and um, then you have uh, Vaughn Taylor, who who was very focused on the diversifying the Bennett family away from iron ore and into technology and um, those sort of plays. Um, so definitely not a mining investor, um, although has has invested in in you know mining companies, but. Uh, very much a uh, a lot of work with startups, a lot of work with uh, investing in the US and and diversifying that family's money away from mining into into more technological based uh, investments, I would say, um, or forward looking investments. Uh, and then we have uh, Lorraine Martin and Beverly Wise, who were uh, aerospace, so had a connection with both defence and the use of titanium. So both Boeing and Lockheed Martin use a significant amount of titanium in their um, in their um, aircraft. And so they have had experience um, across or 
understanding the supply chains that that go into that. So understanding somewhat uh, the titanium supply chains, but I would say more so experience around operations that mm. run advanced uh, industrial um, operations. I would say more manufacturing, more dealing across uh, complex businesses with with uh, you know complex supply chains, uh, lots of uh, lots of people, culture, um, and that's what really attracted us to to um, to Lorraine and Beverly. Um, we're trying to build a business here. We're trying to build what will be quite a substantial business here. Where yesterday we're not that many people, thirty odd employees um, or people. Uh, but in the future, we, we could have multiple manufacturing sites looking at multiple different types of customer bases. A lot of defense industry connects as we're already starting to build. Um, so we wanted shareholders, or we wanted directors um, that are helping to guide us through what we need to do as a company to set ourselves up to to be that type of company in the future, uh, to have the right culture, uh, to have the right processes, um, to have the right thinking about how we become a major industrial company. You know, we we look towards, um, you know, and and to be able to attract that right sort of uh, talent and the right sort of shareholder base over the longer term. So again, it's it's definitely not what you see in a minerals business where we're just building a gold mine or building you know, something like that. And we just need directors that have come out of the mining industry. Uh, we need, we're building a business here. Um, and so we we took the view of looking at directors who have had broad experience around uh, building or being part of businesses that we aspire to be like. It's, it's really interesting because what you've described and what you've been talking about is kind of forward-facing future, you know, um, you're lo- looking out to the future, looking at wh- where you want to be in terms of a business. Yeah. Um, when I look back at um, when I look back at your share price and I compare it with I don't know I've I've, I've compared it with a couple of other uh, companies, the one it fits most closely to is a mineral sands you know a um, titanium kind of uh, explorer developer you know we've got you've moved in lockstep for the last couple of years, um, it's and yet you don't. The, the way you talk is you don't see yourself as a mining company is just that's part of the story when you when you when one looks forward to the kind of the valuation or the the, the way you want to market your company wh- who will you want to be comparing yourself to maybe not today but you know what what, what are your targets what are you what kind of company do you want to grow into it, it's it's a it's an interesting question so you know i can understand that the uh, that a lot of the retail investors and the people participating in the day-to-day trading of the stock are, are more um trying to look for comparables and that's and still we've got a lot of the shares in uh in australia Look, I think in in on the Nasdaq we trade a lot more with the general market, and you see that the actual Nasdaq trades typically ten percent above the Australian market even today. Uh, we get a lot more of a ex uh, mining focused investor here. We have more of an industrial focused investor, but right now with the way the markets are choppy, it's it's um, it's it's a little bit different. But um, if we look at the Australian or, or the UK investor, or which we've got some UK investors, <clears throat> you know, there definitely is uh, focused more on uh, trying to compare us. And I think that's fine. You know, they, they can look at the Titan project and they can put a valuation on it, but and it's but it's tougher for them to put a valuation on our metals business. Um, but we don't see ourselves as a, as a mineral sands play. Uh, we see ourselves as building into a industrial company that will solve a key supply chain here, create a circular, sustainable titanium metal supply chain for the Western world. Uh, how, what sort of companies could we uh, compare ourselves against? Um, I think if you look at um, some of these more uh, valuable steel industry, stainless steel producers, Autocompu, ThyssenKrupp, 
Um, mm. I think if you look at um, integrated industrial companies here in the United States, uh, I look at uh, groups like Tronox and Comores, although they're in the titanium pigment industry, it still has an integrated um, approach. And I, and I I really actually like how, how they run their, their businesses. Um, you know, Comores has got a very strong focus on sustainability as well. They're integrated somewhat with, uh, with their feedstock. Uh, Tronox is heavily integrated with their feedstock, uh, but is considered a titanium pigment company, although they have one of the largest mineral sands operations um, business units uh, in the world. Um, so I like those sort of comparables over the over the longer term. Um, you know, for us, we're trying we're we're tackling a very large market, which could be. Uh, not just titanium metal, but metals or lightweight metals in general, aluminum, um, stainless steel, ultra-high strength steels. Um, and so anything that's integrated in the industrial sector, we're sort of targeting. Uh, we're a bit of a one-of-one, one, so it's tough to put a direct comparison to. And that's why we try focus on telling the story, but also just executing on our strategy. And executing on our strategy means you know, continuing to build a business, both the Titan project and our, and our technology business. And we've made a lot of strides over the last 12 months, definitely on the, I wouldn't call it technology per se, just technology. It's it's industrial technology. So we've actually got operational titanium metal facility mm. producing titanium metal today. And we're building a much larger facility in the next 12 months in Virginia, as we announced only a few weeks ago. Yeah. But along that journey, also signing up the right customers to show that you know this is this is what we're executing on i think will help educate investors as to the potential um, the potential value of that part of the business over the longer term thank you so much we've we've been we've we've covered kind of the history the kind of the culture of what you're trying to do um and also the kind of the forward facing looking aspirational plan for the company um i think just just Let's bring it right back to the immediate and the tangible and the kind of the real mm -hmm. of what you want to be delivering in the next three, six months. You know, what are your, or maybe nine months, you know, what are your goals to the middle of next year, say? So there's a few key goals, which I think build a lot of value. Um, so if we, if we take it from something which the, the, the retail, some of the retail investors, especially ones that tune into, uh, to Crux Investor, I think um, there's the Titan project, which is on the mineral side. So it's a this is a very standard, straightforward heavy mineral sands operation with two standout factors um, uh, or attributes, uh, and one of them is it's in the United States, so that's in infrastructure rich middle of Tennessee. Um, straightforward development, you know, no need for major infrastructure investment, very straightforward. We think it's one of the best um, undeveloped heavy mineral sand deposits in the world. Now that Coburn and and uh, and Sheffield are building, Coburn's being built and uh, and the Thunderbird project are being built, that's owned by Strandline and, and Sheffield Resources. Um and then two, this has a substantial co-product of monazite and xenotime, which are the rare earth containing minerals um, in, and so a lot of value for, for, for a US rare earth supply chain. <clears throat> so those two attributes make it a, a highly valuable project. So although over the longer term, we're reshoring titanium metal, we need to continue to progress the Titan project because longer term, it's got value in being our source of feedstock or raw material supply chain into the technology we're building. But shorter term, I think there's a lot of value to extract in developing what what is the what is a rare earth, heavy, both light and heavy rare earth containing um, project in the United States, which can help the electric vehicle supply chain. Um, rare earths are very topical. Uh, as you as you know today, so we will be a major source of rare earths for for the US, especially the heavy rare earths, dispersing and turbine. But the the, the the milestones in the short term. So you know, if you've got so studies, definitely progressing that project. So pre feasibility study, 
uh, looking at permits. Um, we have already got MOUs for offtake, but uh, progressing those MOUs into um, into more substantial agreements. And in the shorter term, six, nine, 12 months out, as we move towards mid next year, there's there's already a lot of interest in the asset from a joint venture strategic investment <clears throat> angle. So people want to be involved in an asset like this because of not because of all the minerals that it's going to produce. The titanium minerals, the zircon minerals, and especially the rare earth minerals are all in short supply. Um, and especially on the rare earth mineral side, there's a need for additional rare earths, especially the heavy rare earths, which we have a lot of, especially in the United States, to drive forward the electrification thematic. So there's a lot of potential opportunities there from a strategic investor angle, not at the head parent level, at the Hyperion X level, but at the project level, um, to to get involved in the project and 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 drive a lot of value forward. So I think when you look at the Titan project, lots of value there. It has a $700 million NPV, de-risking that and helping to achieve, have that NPV somewhat, some part of that NPV flow through into the ultimate value of Hyperion X is, is something yeah. that we're focused on. Um, yeah. But then, uh, then turning to the metal side of the business, um, Whilst we talk technology, people shouldn't think this is technology that's done on a in a laboratory or at bench scale. We have a fully operational uh, pilot small scale facility. We produce titanium metal powders every day as we speak, um, and we're producing more and more, and thus um, engaging more and more with with some of the partners that we're looking to secure. So we announced um, that. As part of the financing, we're going to continue to upgrade our pilot scale facilities. We've got an excellent operational team out there driven by an excellent uh, senior group of uh, uh, personnel, um, and we are really kicking goals. And we're able to deliver titanium metal powders into um, supply chains from today where we're producing some products. So we announced already a collaboration with Panerai where we are essentially taking our titanium metal powders using 3D printing to produce uh, blank or, um, titanium watch blocks. watch cases. Watch yeah. blocks, little watch cases. Actually, I'll take one out. I think I've got one here to as a as an example. I've got a bunch of like little titanium things here, some of which I can't show you because they're other customers, but we produce little what if you look at little watch cases like this. Yeah. This is a this is a blank that is then uh, taken by the OEM, by Panerai in this case, and it's machined to its final form. So this is a little bit of uh, extra titanium on top of it, and then they machine it down into a watch, and Panerai's watches start at, I think, uh, $10,000, $12,000 a piece. Um, they have about 60,000 watches they produce a year, but they're part of the larger Richemont group, which also owns Cartier, RWC, produces in excess of, you know, six, 700,000 watches uh, a year into the luxury market. And then you move from there and, and generally the Geneva or the Swiss watch, luxury watch market is in the, you know, millions of, of watches a year. Now, that's a very high margin product that we we produce um, and it's an excellent uh, partner to start with because <clears throat> what it shows is that um, for somebody like Panerai or the larger Richemont group, they want – they they're not necessarily looking for a lower cost of supply. They're looking for a more sustainable supply mm. because they're a very consumer-facing business. You know, it goes on your your wrist. I actually own IWC watches, so it goes, you know, you're looking at- uh, It's a story. What, it, what the story of that watch is. Is it sustainable? Um, but also, is the mechanical properties and the surface finish good? So if you look at that, uh, product, if it's good enough for a luxury watch, it that surface finish, the mechanical properties should then be good enough for a lot of other applications where people either wear it or hold it, you know, in the smartwatch, smartphone area, in the consumer electronics, personal consumer electronics area. So that that is a, a um, that is like the tip of breaking into a lot of other products which are that sort of size where today there's a lot of products which people hold, wear, which are made out of um, 
stainless steel or aluminum. Some are made out of titanium, like you do have the Apple Ultra watch, it's, it's all titanium. Um, you know, you look at those sort of products and you say, well, you know, we are the only company in the world which could do it, you know, 100% recycled, 100% or almost, uh, you know, net zero carbon as well. And so it helps to showcase, hopefully, to investors that we can break into those markets. Now, not only that, we are producing these watch blanks today and we are increasing the scale of our production. So we expect um, we expect to be delivering watch blanks or we are delivering watch blanks to, to Panama as we speak. So it's but, but coming back to the yeah. coming back to kind of the, the news flow that the uh, investors can look at from the metals business, let's say until the middle of next year. Is it am I right in thinking it's you're looking to deliver a few more relationship contracts and also yeah. um, work on the on the on the new facility? Yeah, absolutely. So and I would put one more thing in there and is that is we, we will start to generate revenue, albeit relatively small until our new facility is up and running. It shows that people are paying for our product and are paying for the um, showing that with yeah, they're paying for a, a high quality product an American that they want an American sustainable recycled product and so there's there's the relationships of actually building products and getting out there and, and selling a product um, and that's a that's a lot of the journey of some of these other industrial technology companies is they might have a product which people say, oh, that looks great, but they can't get sales. Um, and so we're showcasing here that even before we've built a fully operational or would be much more of a commercial scale facility, even though we call it a demonstration facility, uh, at 125 tonnes per annum, it would be you know one of the largest titanium spherical metal powder facilities in the world. Um, that um, you know we're able to sell product even ahead of that time, and we're able to secure those customers ahead of that time. So you know, in the sh in the next six nine months, uh, we expect to have the larger facility operational about this time next year. But ahead of that, we will continue to add customers. Um, Panera was, you know, I think it took six months, over six months of testing and work with them to get to have them signed on. But I think there was uh, some some milestones they want to meet early next year with uh, uh, for for the titanium metal that, that pushed them to want to sign earlier. But we are working in the automotive sector. We're working on the consumer electronics sector. We're working, of course, in defense. Um, and I think that there's more customers to come there. Now, we can't work on every customer because we're limited power production, limited human resources, but we're working on some very big names. Richemont is one of the biggest names in the luxury market. We're working on some of the biggest names in these those other markets that I just mentioned. And signing them on would be big ticks of approval, but also not just signing them on like you would see a lot of mining companies do where they sign MOUs for sales that are going to be in four years' time. And yeah, 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 yeah. You get four years down the track and they kick it down the yeah. road another four yeah, years. Yeah, this yeah, is yeah, yeah. sign them on and actually supply product. We are supplying prototypes to a lot of these industries um, and we are supplying uh, powder made into, you know, tensile bars, doing mechanical testing across a range of industries. So, you know, this is going to be, signing up customers who are then going to start we we will start just like Panera delivering products into um as soon as we sign them up and then as we get our larger facilities up and running <clears throat> sell sell them you know titanium metal and that sort of that's that's all what we're really targeting over the next sort of 6 9 12 months Brilliant. Now, and we we will have to wrap it up. But I've got one last question, which is probably worth a, a kind of a two minute um, answer. Uh, is how are you financing? You know, you know, what are the what are your concerns about building the 125 ton per annum new facility? You know, how much margin have you got financial? What's your capacity? What's the cost? Just if you could kind of outline that, that'd be really helpful. Yeah, for it's a great question. So, you know, we we released uh, when we announced uh, Virginia as the site, we released some great uh, detail in, in the appendices. Uh, so it's about a $20 million build. Um, there's about four and a half million coming from the state of Virginia, but also the local council or the local development association there, which actually built the building. It's a shell building. Uh, they're doing the upfit and they're, then they'll release um, that building back to us. And that upfit 
is a lot of the electrical work, a lot of the HVAC included. So about four and a half million of that twenty million. So you know we've got quite a chunky contingency in in that build, but you have about fifteen million dollars remaining, of which ten million dollars is equipment, and a lot of this equipment is movable equipment. This is sort of plug and play equipment. It's unlike a mineral operation. It's furnaces, it's um, crushers, it's um, uh, leaching equipment, stuff like that, that can easily be moved between uh, and sold so it can be financed quite easily. So you can get operating leases on that sort of equipment. So you're left with a relatively small, uh, essentially what would be working capital commissioning, um, which is about $5 million in that building. Uh, now, that uh, that facility at 125 tonnes per annum, uh, we put out some uh, numbers there, about $120 a kilo with a 50% contingency to manufacture the titanium spherical powders, and we think we can bring that down as we scale significantly. But today, titanium metal powders sell for anywhere from $250 to $300 a kilo. So you've got very healthy margins there, so it's something that we think is easily financeable. We're in a strong financial position to drive that uh, facility forward. Uh, but we think that there's a lot of interest. Now, there's a lot of interest from these partners that we talk about to also some of these partners have um, specific funds, manufacturing funds, which uh, help to scale their supply chain. And so um, we feel that uh, this is it's not a big build 15 million left to finance of which 10 is financing so you've got five million left over um, there's a range of customers and then there's also a range of government programs out there especially in today's world uh, which you know would easily fund those sort of things especially something that is targeted towards sustainable production clean manufacturing defense orientated uh, products some of which will be in the future so but you, know, you, but you could you could, um, you, you've got the, the cash to cover it already, though, don't you? I mean, so, so when you talk about the cash financing. To, we've got the cash to take us through to next, to the end of next year. If we're able to secure a good financing package around equipment, then we'll have, you know, we, we will have the capacity to be able to build it. Um, you know, we don't want to, we, we want to make sure that we remain in a strong uh, financial position. And that's why we're, we're focused on getting the right financial package there, um, but also getting the right customers involved because ideally we don't spend anything to build that and we have between, uh, you know, financing for the equipment and, uh, and government incentives or government, government grants or, or customer, um, customer interest, customer prepayments or stuff like that, we, we, we have that financed. That that would be my ideal, but you know, we have a good cash balance too. We're already putting deposits down and buying some of the equipment. Actually, one piece of equipment that we thought was that was about one point seven million dollars of the build of that twenty million, we just bought it for I think one hundred and fifty grand secondhand. So so already we're we're yeah. cutting into that. We were pretty conservative on those numbers. So yeah. so you know. Great. Um, Tesso, th thank you. What a fascinating conversation again. Um, our time is up. Uh, but I look forward to seeing the, um, the progress as you go through and uh, watch your story with great interest. All right. I really appreciate it, Merlin. We'll talk again soon. Good stuff. Thanks.